Hi guys, welcome to Babylon Undead. This is another one of our special um, investigations or deep dives into the Star Trek franchise that started with Paul uh, back with the last episode when we were chatting about the TV series Star Trek Picard. In that um, little discussion that we had, we decided that we would uh, press on and go back to the movie. So I've got Paul. Paul's back. Say hello, Paul. Hello. How is everyone? How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing very well. So how are you, how is how are things in in your neck of the woods? They are. They are good. It's an excuse to watch some more Star Trek. So I took that with. I took that with open arms. Um, and yeah, I'm. I'm excited to talk about it. Excited to talk about it for sure. Yeah, I have to say, I don't really need much much of an excuse to watch Star Trek <laughs> <laughs> me neither in all honesty but yeah to go back to this one uh, was was one of the ones probably my, one of my least visited Star Trek films I'll be honest so uh, yeah excited to talk about it could, could, when we first when we mentioned Star Trek you did or I think we did on the podcast but uh, you were not impressed with my taste in, in Star Trek films the motion picture <laughs> so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, sort of the revisionist a review from you of how you feel about well Star Trek I'll, I'll be honest I think off air I mean maybe on air I can't quite remember but certainly off air I think I've and more than once I've accused this of the, the quite lazy moniker of this being uh, Star Trek the slow uh, in bunny ears motion picture so um, <laughs> maybe I've changed my mind but uh, time time will take we'll get there but uh, perhaps I've changed my mind perhaps I haven't Star Trek phase two <laughs> this is a conflagration of a couple of scripts that Gene Roddenberry was pushing at Paramount Pictures. Um, Star Trek was taken off the air after the third or fourth season. It was a cartoon series, which did very well, but mm. fans really, through letter-writing campaign, through a whole bunch of um, conventions, including the early Comic-Cons, before, you know, but they were Star Trek cons back then, um, were, pu were pushing for a Star Trek uh, series. And, and Paramount listened uh, they had syndicated the show for many years afterwards and decided that they wanted to bring back Star Trek uh, they licensed the property off to Film Nation who made a series of actually I think quite wonderful Star Trek um, uh, animated shorts um, if, uh, if you get a chance to watch them definitely watch them they're, they're fantastic um, and also pushed uh, into production uh, what they were going to call at the time Star Trek Phase 2. This was going to be a TV series, much like Star Trek Generation, which is kind of funny because you see a lot of Star Trek Next Generation in this movie. There's a lot of similarities from one of the characters played by Stephen Collins. Uh, he's got a very similar name to Will Riker. So it, yeah, the the script here is 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 it, it, it's a very straightforward sort of story, but the story behind the story, as it were, is is very interesting. There was a lot of wranglings. Paramount basically wanted the TV series, then they wanted the movie, then they wanted the TV series, then they wanted the movie, then they decided, no, 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 we're definitely going to do a TV series, but it's going to be like a TV movie. And they um, started building the sets and getting everything ready. Uh, the only thing was they didn't actually have a script uh, ready to go. Um, they had a couple of scripts um, going, one by Harold Livingstone and one by Gene Roddenberry. And it could be argued that Gene Roddenberry just took Harold Livingstone's script and rewrote it and claimed it as his own. Um, but there was there was there was tension there already, and sort of like at the the eleventh hour, they decided with the success of Star Wars, obviously, and then with um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that there was something there for some more sort of cerebral um, Star Trek films. So they decided push it forward. They would make a uh, a motion picture, 
And at this point, Stephen Collins and Persis Cambata uh, were actually employed and doing screen tests, costume tests for the TV series. So they've taken these scripts that they had for the TV series, sort of squashed them down and reworked them to be a uh, motion picture. Uh, but again, on starting the motion picture, they only had like a third or two thirds of the script actually finished. So they get Robert Wise in, Hollywood legend, uh, legendary filmmaker, um, probably most known for The Day the Earth Stood Still and the, um, oh, just I've totally forgotten the name of it now, the uh, the recent, what was it, what was it, what was it, the most recent film, uh, this is me not planning, there's the Andromeda Strain, which is probably the most recent of that, that was in 1971. Um, he also did the not so clever uh, Hindenburg. So like, he's been making films since mm. the f- well, he's been in Hollywood since the '30s, directing films yeah, well since '44. So he's a Hollywood, you know, A-lister basically. And he's called in to basically sort of pull this all together. This is a, a series that launched a lot of careers, um, but we can we'll talk about that as, as we go along. So you and I come to Star Trek with sort of different ways me being a little bit older than you can remember the syndication of Star Trek during the 70s and early 80s and I can remember going to the movie theatre to watch this whereas you undoubtedly have not because you weren't even born yet no, I cannot. I'm not. I'm not going to try and claim that because I can't. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I came to Star Trek realistically probably through the next the next gen I think is probably when I first started watching it when, and it was it was kind of a regular fixture as, as family viewing on I think it was either on Tuesday or Wednesday nights on BBC two I possibly had some I possibly I think I might have seen some of the might have seen some of the films prior to next generation coming out I think I had watched a couple of them with with my dad possibly but for me I don't think Star Trek really started to sink in and mean something to me until next generation came out and then I kind of wanted to go backwards with it and it wasn't until next gen where I, I think I started to go backwards through to the started to watch the original series um, and, and, and go further back so I think I kind of yeah I came to it much later I think the this movie in particular um, was probably one of the later ones I watched because everyone talks about Wrath of Khan and it's it's a Wrath of Khan is a fantastic film deservedly so so I think I came to Star Trek the motion picture quite late this viewing will be only be my third in total of the motion picture and I think I've seen Wrath of Khan probably six or seven times so um, yeah this is only only my third viewing of the motion picture so yeah that's kind of my my experience of Star Trek now fully fully signed up fan I love it we sat we I sat through Picard that's how much I love Star Trek so <laughs> but no there's there, there's something about Star Trek in, in its approach in, in how it does sci-fi as we as we were talking last week it shouldn't the disappointing thing I think with Picard is that it kind of was felt it was riffing on other people's ideas rather than setting the agenda and Star Trek when it came out like set the agenda for 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 space or for sort of sci-fi in space really so um, that's kind of where I where I came into Star Trek so yeah a bit later than you I don't remember this at the cinema Probably my first cinematic Star Trek that I saw at the cinema was probably Generations, I think, um, which is quite late. I think there were there were certainly ones out at the cinema that I missed before I before I got into it enough to go and see them. So yeah, I think Generations is probably my first cinematic Trek if I remember rightly. You're sort of I don't know you're kind of kind of like a Johnny Come Lately really to Star Trek. 
uh, yeah, defend you I, in that in no, that no, typical fine, yeah, trick yeah, way. Yeah, yeah no, that's fine. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not it's not like uh, it's not like someone into sci-fi to be uh, possessive and, uh, and want to offend someone that's come late to it. Like, how dare you ever have watched Star Trek, sir? You came to it late. And what do you mean you weren't born when it came out? How is that? That's entirely your fault. Fix it. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's no excuse. So no, uh, there know. is no excuse. Um, but yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah. In fairness, yeah, I am a Johnny Come Lately to Star Trek. I will take, I will take that. Sir. I will take that. <laughs> but what it does mean is we're going to come from very different points, and it's going to be really hard for me to, to separate the nostalgia from whether I like the film or not. Now, I've recently seen some films from my childhood that were just awful, and some that were just fantastic. So I have been able to sort of separate in that in that regard. But yeah, I went back and I rewatched it. I watched the specialized version. I believe you watched the normal version, right? Because you've got yeah, the I did. Rays. I did try to find the specialized version. Well, I say I tried. I did try and find the specialized version. I googled what the specialized version was and thought I'd quite like to watch that version. And then I realised that it's not. I thought it might be on this sort of tucked away as a special feature on the on the UK Blu-ray release, but it's not. So, yeah. So what what are the what are the differences for me? Help, help me out here. Well, it, it's a few minutes shorter. I think it's about four or five minutes shorter. There's uh, everything's basically been tightened up. There's a few scenes that have been re-added uh, in dialogue that's been changed to make more sense. So it, it's more of a, of a streamlined picture. It's it makes uh, the special effects have been tidied up as well. Things have been because even the special effects were a rush. The whole thing was like Alien Three sort of level of mess. It's a remarkable wow, okay. we even got a film out of it, let alone what we did and something that quite frankly came out as coherent as 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 what we got um as far as the specialized version goes so the only the only version you you can find is a, a dvd version or an sd version of it and th that is available on amazon however amazon being awesome put the same sticker on the regular version as they do on the specialized version <laughs> so i had to buy both versions and sit down and just figure out which one i was actually watching and so if you've got the blu-rays unfortunately paramount decided not to do a high resolution version of this i mean it was it was released for the dvd release mm. and then blu-ray became a thing a few years after but they've never gone back and redone it even okay. for the blu-ray I, which I think it is. So we, will, I don't think there's really a lot difference, other than it just tidies things up. It's like mm. it, 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 it's kind of like, um, in many ways, like the special edition of the first Alien film, the Ridley Scott Alien film, where it just sort of tightens things up a little bit and yeah. and, and and makes the narrative make a little bit more sense, like the backstory with Ripley and Lambert, the sort of feud that they have, or the tension that's between them. Um, so uh, it is my preferred Star Trek motion picture to go and watch just because it just sort of it, it feels better it flows better it feels and it, it and Robert Wise was invited back to actually um, recut this because right up to the last minute they sacked a couple of um, uh, special effects companies because they were plowing money into special effects and nothing was happening and they couldn't figure out what was going on when they eventually visited the uh, special effects firm they found out they had basically only done one special effects and that looked like rubbish so <laughs> they sacked them and that to start again Douglas Trumbull came in uh, you had uh, John Dykstra who's uh, ILM alumni and, and also um, trained under um, Trumbull mm. and uh, is, create, is responsible for the, for the motion control uh, computerized system in Star Wars so um, it, sort of one of the big superstars of 
with special effects. But even right to the last minute, like they were hours before or days before the actual release, the, the, the print came out of the baths, still wet, put in a box. Robert Weiss put it under his arm, went to the premiere, and they projected that. And Robert Weiss hadn't even seen the film. Literally <laughs> seen the film completely cut. He was, and he was cutting as he was shooting the film, rewriting the film because all the actors wanted their own little input. You've got Leonard Nimoy who didn't want to come back to the series, who was in a, a bit of an anti-Star Trek mode. And then he didn't like the character. He, was, uh, he seemed not to like the character. Um, he had some issues also with uh, Paramount over his residuals, um, uh, which were actually eventually uh, solved and, and they all came back on board. But everyone had their little five cents worth. Um, uh, so everything was slowing the project down and it seems to be the, the biggest stumbling block to this arguably was Gene Roddenberry himself which seems to be like a recurring theme. Unfortunately with Star Trek this, this creator is, is a bit can be a bit egotistical and uh, self-absorbed and uh, um, he's a man of TV but he's not a man of motion pictures and I think that's where the conflict came in. Lucky for him he had uh, Jeffrey Katzenberger run, basically working as a production coordinator who was pulling all these different strands together. Jeffrey Katzenberg went on to found SKG with Steven Spielberg mm, yeah, and David Geffen and this was his first gig so uh, you've got wonderful music by Jerry Goldsmith who had to go ba back and rewrite his score because it wasn't good enough to start with um, or it wasn't it wasn't right and, and uh, they both but right up to the last minute this film gets released and then it, it goes out the critics savage it they call it, it was a Star Trek the slow motion picture um, <laughs> they think it's absolutely rubbish and it's terrible it's ran completely over budget uh, it ended up costing 45 million which back in those days was a lot of uh, if US dollars which back in those days was a lot of money however Star Trek fans loved it they came back and back and back the box office eventually blossomed to 139 billion uh, million, which is a three-time profit. So it made enough money for them to decide, decide to make a second film, which was Wrath of Khan, and that's probably that's definitely this film is the reason why Wrath of Khan had such a low budget, and maybe the box it had made that such a good film. But that's mm. something for another day. Yeah. So I, me being the little eight-year-old with my granddad going to watch Star Trek, knew none of this, and no didn't follow any of the Starlog magazines really that much about uh, this back then in the, in the day so we went back just to watch the movie and right from the beginning when the when the lights come up and the music starts that wonderful Jerry Goldsmith score or score that would later go on to the next generation um, it, I was transported as equally as I was in Star Wars that little kid was just enthralled just seeing the names wishing and and um yeah, it, it's got a good opening. The film opens with um, a probe entering into um, our quadrant. It, it passes Klingon territories and three uh, Klingon warships go to investigate in typical sort of Klingon style um, by firing torpedoes at the thing <laughs> and becoming uh, decimated or, or digitized in the process for, the, uh, for, their, for their troubles. And it becomes very apparent very soon on that this probe is heading to Earth and it being, I think they say five AUs, which is an AU is the distance from here to, to the sun. So it's a huge cloud of energy um, that is just 
m allegedly mindlessly heading towards um, heading to Earth. The Enterprise is going through a refit. Um, Stephen Collins um, is overseeing the uh, the refit of the Enterprise. It's come back from its five-year voyage. The whole original crew is sort of scattered across Starfleet. Um, Admiral James T. Kirk um, kind of, I, I would say, uh, rather rudely and abruptly sort of wrestles command from... Um, he's he's now a, uh, an admiral. He, and he sort he, of wrestles quotes, command from. He wants a three-minute meeting, doesn't he? Uh, I think he requests at the beginning of the film, and that's how long it takes him to wrestle command of the Enterprise back. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We can assume there's sort of more going on with that, but but, but he definitely uses it for, for, to his own agenda, and he comes across as a bit of an asshole actually. Um, um, and I think it's a good good place to to start. I mean, for for you, like. It's a very it, it's got, it's got an interesting beginning. How do you feel for 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 that? Like the the intro to this film. Uh, for the intro, I, yeah, I really like I really like the intro to the film. It kind of it it opens. It, I, it was more sort of action packed than I remember the intro being because obviously you have this initial like confrontation with the Klingons. The first thing that jumped at me, I was just like, oh my god, these models are incredible. Like the detail in the in the model work in this film. That's the that's the one thing I started. I was just like, oh, this looks great. This looks great in a way. Obviously, you're going to have people now that watch it and say, oh, it looks dated. And I I can see where you're coming from on that but to me I've always had a fondness for model work because you can't you can't really beat the detail in it um, and, and how these things look because they're tangibly there so for me like initially I was like oh, this looks great this is an exciting open I don't, I don't remember this kind of this space battle at the beginning of the film um, May and this this was kind of the first moment I was like maybe it isn't the slow motion picture after all maybe I've misjudged it might give you a clue as to what, I'm, what we're coming around to here when we talk about mm. the, when I go on talking about the film um, <laughs> yeah so I, I really liked the opening I thought I thought it was great there's something I've always liked the the, the kind of the Star Trek episodes and I think um Certainly, Next Generation did quite a lot of them. Anything with an entity or an energy cloud, that that immediately, I'm just like, I go full nerd, I go full nerdgasm for that. I'm just like, yes, an entity or an unexplained energy cloud. Like, it doesn't get much more geekier than that for me. Like, it's proper hard sci-fi when you've got that. So yeah, as soon as you see an energy cloud, I'm, I'm excited. I'm on board with the on board with the premise. Um, so yeah, actually, I think the Fifth Element kind of owes a little bit with the kind of the in its sort of inexplicable big force of evil just rushing across the solar system. Kind of owes a little bit to this this storyline, perhaps. But yeah, so I like that. I thought I thought that looked great um, for sure. And then yeah, you get to Kirk, and I'm totally with you. I quite I quite like the fact that Kirk is, for want of a better word, a bit of a prick in this film, um, and kind of he's he's very offhand in the way that he deals with in the way that he deals with the um, with the crew. Um, and it's another regular crew member. I'm mean, like, kind of like, I won't, I won't jump ahead too far, but there's another regular crew member that kind of brings him back down to himself. I think as the film goes on, which I thought was a nice, which I thought was a nice touch. But yeah, so far, yeah, I, I was on board. It, it was, it was immediately more interesting than I remember than I gave it credit for. I'll be honest. I mean, there's a really creepy scene, like when the, the crew's being assembled and, and Kirk's as it's so. So Kirk goes to Starfleet. He has a three-minute meeting to wrestle uh, control of the of the Enterprise back because the Enterprise for some reason is the only starship in the sector mm. that can deal with this which I've always felt is a bit that's a bit, a bit, a bit weak, of an odd one it? yeah considering you're, considering you're on Earth where's the rest of the Enterprise where's the rest of the Federation fleet at this point like yeah. they, I, I don't really grasp that they would only have one <laughs> ship defending the Earth like it's, you know come on bring it on Klingons <laughs> yeah. 
yeah i did that was the one thing i thought was a bit bizarre she's like why not just why not just dispatch the enterprise so you want him to do it because he's had five years in in the deep in deep space yeah i don't buy i don't buy that no. the, there was only one ship there yeah i'd agree with that that was odd <laughs> yeah and, and there's lots of things like rewatching it or recently is really sort of brought all my attention to the smaller details again i haven't seen it in a couple of years but i love the first time he meets scotty he's really offhand with scott like you can see yeah. that he's really uh, um james doing is just so i don't know if it's just him or his character it's probably a bit of both he's just happy to be back in star trek and seeing captain kirk again and he's telling kirk all these different problems and then kirk's like listen there's a cloud an unidentified uh, thing of of immense power that's coming to earth uh, it's a couple of days out we're the only ones we've got to be there and kirk's and then Scott, scotty's like if if you can wrestle this if you can get this shit back from starfleet command then yeah i'll get it ready for you i'll I'll get it online um, and so far the the ship's a mess when he gets on board it's a total mess the wires hanging out people are like running around trying to put the panels back on and get this thing running it's like it's, it's in no state and I really like that that um, um, level of chaos and it's here that he immediately knocks heads with the captain of the Enterprise played by Stephen Collins uh, Will Decker, whose name sounds suspiciously like Will Riker, um, who what is basically the the precursor for Will Riker, uh, including this relationship with um, Persis Cambata's uh, character. But um, Stephen Collins plays um, the captain knows exactly what Kirk's up to. <laughs> yeah, from the from the moment the moment he lays eyes on him, he knows what's wrong. Yeah, and Kirk's not subtle about it he's like i want the ship back i'm sorry i've got five years experience out there and they want me to take it. and he's like no so i'm calling bullshit on this you just wanted the enterprise back and you use this emergency to do it and i'm quite frankly you're not um up to the task because you haven't logged any star out uh, hours you haven't you haven't been out here you've been pushing pencils basically um and i know the ship better than anyone else and he's like well that's why I've asked you to, to to be my number one, and that's got like would Kirk take that? He comes back on, and then you suddenly start seeing the split between the two crews. You've got Decker's crew who are like, "Who's this geezer?" And then you've got uh, Kirk's crew, the old the old crew they got, who are um, Sulu and Chekhov, and they all get together in a little huddle. And I think this is more in the special edition than in the, in the regular edition. They actually turn around and say to the the, the pro-Decker uh, um, uh, Ensign or whoever he is, our chances just doubled with Captain Kirk being here. Really glad to don't see th it. I think that is in the special edition. I don't think that's in the original cut that I watched today because I only watched it this afternoon. So oh, okay. I, don't, I don't recall that line, to be fair. So I think that may be a special edition line, which is actually a really nice addition to it because that's... Yeah, I like I like that. That works there's well. There's nice little touches mm. of that. Of, uh, like there, 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 there's... There's a loyalty to Decker because, oh, and and throughout this whole film, I think Stephen Collins does a really good job of jumping in, and I think he's really the lead of this. Stephen Collins and Perseus Cambato, they're very much one of the lead characters, and he's mm. come in almost. I mean, he said he said it himself in uh, interviews. It almost felt like a trespasser, like an outsider coming into this. But um, I think the community's really warm to him. I think he's the relationship between him and 
versus Kambata is, is just it's just wonderful. So they start assembling the crew. Um, the ship is a bit of a mess, as we've said before. They start assembling the sh uh, the crew, and we so we basically cut, don't we? we? We cut back to Vulcan, and we see Spock. And, and I think this is one of the big differences is, is that there's a lot more effect shots in the special edition here okay. of, 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 um, of the motion picture where you get to see more of Vulcan before you settle down to see Spock because that scene is really jarring like there's just Spock on a red landscape for the, for the regular, regular scene um, and he doesn't look like he do really wants to be in the film at all, does he, old Lennon? No, I'll, I'll be honest. Like this was the moment. I mean, I, I, this was the moment where I thought, yeah, I'm with you. I was like, does does he want to be here? Like he's he's going through the I forget I forget the name of the name of the um the ceremony he's going through. But Colonel. That's it. There we go. I thought you'd know. Um, yeah. So he's basically. I, I mean, I love the fact that someone is trying to award him with something called, and this is one of my favourite moments. It's the, a symbol of total logic that that is a thing that exists. It's like you can be. I'd love to know if you can where. Like, is there any way I can be awarded a symbol of, of total logic, um, which I thought was brilliant. And then, yeah. and then basically the um, the entity or the the, the field. This the, certainly in the version I watched. Then kind of, I guess, reaches out to him or he senses some kind of intelligence from it I think doesn't he at this point yeah. but going back to what you're saying no absolutely yeah. Leonard Nimoy and it's weird to see Spock with long hair at this point it's just literally like he hasn't bothered cutting his hair and he's come in just to play the role um, yeah. so yeah he didn't he didn't look over he didn't look overstruck to be there that's he, I'll be honest in, on that moment um, nor does he look particularly comfortable in the role for for most of the film I don't think but we'll, we'll get to that I guess but yeah sorry I, I I digress. No, I think all the characters here have a really nice progression, they, especially the old crew. They come in, for want of the better word, sort of worn out. Mm. They all come in quite old. And one of the things I love about this movie is how, as the movie goes on, they <laughs> seem to get younger and they become more themselves, which I think we were talking about in, um, in the Picard series, um, how Picard mm. becomes more Picard, especially in the, in the episode where he's having pizza. Um, he suddenly, you know, Deanna Troy kicks him under the table virtually and, and, and says, you know, wake up and be, be Picard. Stop being this grump, you know, whiny old man. Do what you can do. And, in, and you see it really well with DeForest Kelly, who doesn't want to be beamed up. Mm. He wants to come up in a shuttle and Kirk goes down to the transport. Oh, sorry, just before we get to that, because before DeForest Kelly gets beamed in, um, the transporter accident they have, that's horrendous. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, that's absolutely... That's, that, that, took, that kind of jarred me. It took me by surprise. So, because I guess because the Enterprise is under construction and they're still fixed in certain systems, they have two crew members who are supposed to beam over. And basically, during the beaming process, they lose their signal. And then you have these really, like painful screams and then this just awful message from Starfleet and Starfleet just really <laughs> offhandedly go and like I think Kurt goes have you got them Starfleet and Starfleet's like well what we came back mercifully wasn't alive or words to that effect yeah. and you're just like Christ that was, that was that was quite something and like that the horrible twisted screams in in the transporter and I'm just like well that came out of left field I didn't see that <laughs> it's, it's 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 horrible and you see Yeoman Rand or Rand Commander Rand I don't know what what rank she's at at that point um, and she just can't, you know. She turns around, and Kirk says to her, uh, "Words to the effect, it wasn't your fault. There's nothing you could do." But just, it's just, it is a horrible moment. Um, yeah. 
and you can and it really beautifully sets up why DeForest Kelly or when I Leonard McCoy doesn't like transport beans. I mean, if yeah. you think about it, you've been disintegrated and reintegrated, and is it you or a copy? And yeah, and I think I, I quite like the fact that it touches on that because there are I think there's a few episodes that do, but I think the later you get with Star Trek, the more I guess I maybe guess that their their argument is the safer teleportation gets. But I like I like the idea that that's touched on that actually it is it can be quite dangerous, and obviously you you know as you say you're disintegrating people and putting them back together again, so there, there's ultimately going to be some form of risk to that. Um, and I, I quite like the way it touched on that. So yeah, that was that was one of the other one of the, yeah definitely a left field moment, but a good one. Oh, it's just it's. And I think it sort of sets it up as that this is going to be quite a serious, grown-up science fiction mm. film. Um, and maybe that's where some of the criticism really comes from, is that they, people wanted a... I remember at the time, um, there were a lot of people of my age, and, you know, were little kids, didn't like it because it wasn't Star Wars. You know, they weren't mm. into Star Trek the same way that I loved Star Trek. And when you're younger, you like you like different things as well. Um but this is great, and and it is like the Forrest Kelly's introduction to Leonard McCoy when he gets beamed up. As I say, you know, he's got a big beard. He's literally been drafted, um, pulled back onto the Enterprise by Kirk because Kirk wants him on board, um, and it becomes very clear that Kirk needs a touchstone, you know, a good doctor. But clearly, like McCoy is Kirk's conscience and really shines here. Really, mm. stop begins to pull uh, Kirk into line. Um, yeah, it's just all nice just seeing everyone back together and, 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 and being that little kid in, in the cinema, which is a joy because everyone gets a really nice moment of introduction and they get, they get a good amount of time. So, we're, okay, so we've got basically the whole crew together. Spock's not here at the moment. They go, um, they set off, well, they, they go to set off from uh, Starfleet. We're missing, obviously, the the, the the really big scene is when Kirk comes aboard um, the Enterprise in the first place. <laughs> which this is the scene that gives it the the whole slow motion picture. Aspect. I mean, this this scene this scene it's it's, it's tricky for me because I think the first that I say the first the first time I watched this in recent memory, so not as a child. This was one of the scenes that kind of this one of the scenes that I wouldn't say grated with me. I think if you we watched we were I was watching it with like three other people and we kind of one of us just giggled because it was going on for a long time, and then I think that then set the tone for every time there's a long scene in Star Trek the Motion Picture, someone else giggled, <laughs> and then I think and I think that kind of is possibly what set my set my opinion on the course that it's been set because then we all started sort of taking the piss every time it got a bit um, every time it got a bit um, slow shall we say in places um, uh, but yeah this I mean this this shot it, it is I, I timed it at six minutes uh, that's not a precise time and I timed it at six minutes it feels like about 20 minutes um, <laughs> the way the the way it flows the way the the, the sh little ship yeah. with um, with with Kirkon floats around the Enterprise but what I think the the positives of it is, I mean, it's the Enterprise, so it's clearly it's clearly a labour of love for whoever shot this film. And I think, well, the, the positives of that scene, as slow as it is, are the fact that they obviously love Star Trek. Like it, it, mm -hmm. it comes across that they love Star Trek, they love the Enterprise, and to whoever's the, the makers of this film, this is a big fucking deal putting the Enterprise on screen for the first time, and I think, and on the big screen for the first time. Sorry, and I think what they're kind of established. I think part of the reason that. Probably, yeah, that I think that ultimately I've come around to this scene works for me is it's just it's saying to you right the Enterprise is as much of a character in this film as the crew are he, and he is one of the main characters like you can't have Star Trek without the Enterprise at this point um, 
without a shadow of a doubt. So I've come around to liking it, even if it is like if you if you smirch, it's easy to giggle at. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with it, but it is. A, yeah, it's. I cocked it in a solid six minutes, but it feels like longer. <laughs> the other thing I only really noticed for the first time watching it last time was. Um, Scotty flies a very particular path. It's not it's like there's a narrative reason for it. Scotty is showing it's Scotty showing off the Enterprise to Kirk because Kirk yeah. hasn't seen it in a long time, <laughs> and he takes deliberately the long way round. The way the, the shuttle is actually passes, he could have just gone straight to the dock, but Scotty flies it yeah. along the yeah, side, good, round the front, point, over the over the. Well, there's a moment. There's a moment where I thought, okay, it's over now, and then it's like, duh, <laughs> duh, 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 and I'm like, oh no, we're doing another lap. <laughs> yeah, like when they fly over the saucers, like when they get to the end, that would normally be the end, but then they go over the saucer section and yeah, and they around. go over, and you're like, uh, what? Yeah. Where are we now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh, we're gonna go down here. Well, you could have just turned right at the at the yeah. front, <laughs> but you know. There's a there's a lot in this film of people just staring and reacting to stuff that yeah, wasn't there, there when they were filming it, and this is one of those cases where you just see shots after shot after shot of Scotty looking at Kirk, looking at the Enterprise. Um, it's yeah, it is gratuitous, yeah, but I think <laughs> in context at the time, I mean, this is Douglas Trumbull. We did 2001, so it it, it was just the audience hadn't seen the Enterprise. Yeah for a ten, 10 years unless they'd seen it on the indication it's indication and we as an audience this was the first time that we got to see it in, in the film as Kirk saw it I mean much of this film is obviously seen through the eyes of Kirk but it is um, it, it, I don't begrudge it at all I, it, some days I admit when it comes up I am tempted to fast forward it like when they get to the source of the section, <laughs> even I at some points think maybe I will fast forward it and get on I've seen this so many times but it's it's just such a great model and what and and what I like about it as well is it's so true to the TV series while updating them mm. I think a lot of shows today could take a leaf out of that book they've updated it but they've updated it in a logical way like narratively it makes sense they've refitted it but it's still got the same shape because it's based on the same thing they just put new you know nacelles and there's a new bridge but it's basically the same shape um, yeah so they get together um, there's a run in with um, I don't know is, 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 is Spock here Spock's here, not here at this moment so the no, ship Spock, eventually Spock leaves and then we get like another it, yeah. two and a half minutes of the Enterprise leaving which I think is totally yeah at that point I'm like yeah okay fair yeah. enough let's, let, let's get on with it but yeah, I, yeah I, there is the whole yeah, yeah. kind of the camera the camera does what Scotty's yeah. ship does yeah. and kind of tours the Enterprise again as it yeah. as it leaves dock just before they leave um, they have that lovely great meeting in in one of the recreation areas where they have the whole crew in there and they discuss what's going on and they sh they show a clip from one of the observation posts that gets digitized or decimated by the by, by the thing and Kirk is not the leader Kirk that we know he just literally switched off the view screen goes okay let's right go to work I want I want to be gone in two hours or whatever it is it's like there's no rousing speech from Kirk no he just gets on with it and and he runs it he, he runs into um, problems with, with Stephen Collins he Stephen Collins gives a speech which could have been lifted from next generation where he talks to um, Kirk about the responsibilities of being a first officer and this comes up much more later on but he, he shows the seats here is that my responsibility is to present options and my responsibility is to 
confront you if I think you're wrong and correct you and let me remind you you haven't been on a starship in two years etc etc um, so Enterprise leaves um, as they're leaving uh, Scotty's telling Kirk all the time the engines aren't ready we need to do a run through uh, we get a visit from um, Spock who comes on board but because he's been through the colonize he's been purged of all emotions he has no emotion at all he's like a dead piece of word as he comes on and everyone like Chekhov's happy to see him Uhura, Sulu I think Uhura says when, when he comes on the bridge it was just that's how we feel and he just looks at us so coldly and just walks off and I'm pretty sure I think I counted six possibly six maybe seven Spocks out of uh, Kirk's mouth at this point like, Spock <laughs> Spock Spock. I have to <laughs> say, this, I'd say, he's, I'd yeah. say he's pleased to see him at this point. But <laughs> it was the point I thought, yeah, I think Kirk actually does love Spock. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought, yeah, they could have gone that way. I because this movie in particular, the relationship between the way Shatner plays it with with Leonard mm. Nimoy are like a couple of long lost gay lovers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I think is like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what really happened in an alternate universe. Um, and they and they go to they talk about bits and pieces and then they go flying off at warp speed and the engines obviously aren't ready they enter a wormhole and then there's that that scene which I think is probably the weakest scene of the whole bunch where um, they encounter the asteroid and everyone talk well Chekhov in particular is talking very slowly <laughs> because of the photon torpedoes and this is the first time where we see that Kirk isn't the hero we remember from the TV series he orders uh, phasers doesn't he he orders phasers to shoot down the asteroid yeah. that's blocking their way Stephen Collins shouts out no don't do this fire photon torpedoes they fire the tor photon torpedoes and this is like the big confrontation when they have in the office and uh, Kirk's uh, ready room um, Kirk's like well why, why do you do this and he's like well because if you fired the phasers the phasers are routed through the warp drive the we would have exploded yeah. Yeah, this this is what I'm telling you he said well stop competing with me and he's like I'm not the one competing um, to which um, Bones pulls him up on it and I think that's a great mo moment between him and him and Bones um, I, I, it's, 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 it's the emotional bits of these films that I really love the, the, the reunification of, of, of Bones trying to sort out Kirk's arrogance and deal with that like Kirk's really got a massive ego in this and oh for sure yeah and I think there's there's a moment before this where he tells he tells Kirk he's pushing the crew too hard yeah. and the crew know how to do their jobs and just let them do it yeah. Um, but yeah it's an interest. yeah I think it's an interesting take on Kirk mm. that, to bring him back in as, you, as we said earlier he's a bit of a cock in this for sure yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I like and the, yeah the Bones-Kirk relationship I think this is yeah one of the strongest I've seen it I think and we get a really nice introduction to Stephen uh, William Decker's um, love interest. Uh, it's Aaliyah, played by Perseus Cambata. She's a Delton, and there's a backstory between her and William Decker. They've had an affair. She's. It's implied by the TV, by the, by the movie that the um, Deltons are hypersexual beings. So, to in order to work on a starship, she's taken a vow of celibacy. And like, but the, it's wow. but that's the first thing she says to Kirk, which yeah. I absolutely loved. I was like, I, I laughed. I was yeah. just like, this is brilliant. This is a nod to Kirk being this like the philander he is in the original series. Yeah. And the first thing she says to Kirk is, it's almost like just to let you know, I have taken a vow of celibacy. Now just back <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, 
It's a brave thing for her to do, to shave, shave off all her hair as well, especially in those um, at that time as well. Um, and as I said, she was one of the original cast members as well. Her and Stephen Collins were going to be the, the main cast of, of, of Phase 2 of Star Trek, as the TV series mm. was going to be called. We see return from Major Barrett as Christine Chapel. Um, nice to see her, albeit for brief. And she's, uh, what's it? Um, Bone says, oh, she's a doctor now. Give me a nurse. I don't want a doctor telling me how to do my job or something like that. It's quite, <laughs> it's just, uh, quite nice. But it's, um, it's, as I've said, for me, it's, it's the emotional relationships between Kirk and Kirk, Spock, and Bones here are really laid out really well, and 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 they all look like they're a bit over the hill, like they shouldn't, they don't really want to be there. They don't really seem to be enjoying themselves, and I imagine some of that's to do with the fact that they weren't actually enjoying themselves until later on when they started getting into the flow of things, mm. uh, as as people, as 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 actors, opposed to the actual um, uh, the characters themselves. But also, it works for the characters as well. Um, so it t- turns out that, that uh, Scotty was right the engines weren't ready but because we've got um, Spock on board acting the science officer he goes down works with Scotty and they get the engines back on and they, they carry on and then they um, encounter Vija the cloud um, I mean we could carry on talking like talk, uh, talking about the series like blow by blow or Perhaps if you want, from from this point on, we can get a little bit more vague and sort of start jumping around a little bit. Um, it's entirely up to you. I, th- I think like once we get to the cloud, everything becomes much more like a Star Trek Next Generation episode, much sort of, uh, like a, like a two thousand and one in space, which I think is what they were trying to go for, really. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think once once you get to the cloud, um, yeah, once you get to the cloud, the plot becomes fairly linear, and there's a lot of time spent in the cloud. Yeah. Um, so again, we want to keep keep doing what we're doing. So they they, they approach the cloud. Um, they approach the cloud initially. They are. I think it's um, what was the the first officer initially suggests they launch a scan immediately. Um, this is where you, this is where I think you start to see Kirk as Kirk again here. Yeah. Um, at this point, is he's like launch a scan. He's like, no, don't scan them back because that could be construed that could be construed as aggression. And I think all the other Federation ships and certainly the Klingon ships when they've been scanning it have been attacked um, by this by this cloud. At this point, I don't think you know the cloud's called Vija, um, if I remember rightly, because they uh, yeah because this is there. So they do that. They don't they don't probe it. Um, they send messages of peace. Um, then they are. Then there's a. Then they are scanned again by the cloud, which we know as Vija. Obviously, anyone who's watched the film knows as Vija. Then a weird, like beam of plasma appears on the on the deck of the Enterprise, which I quite like, which is some kind of probe from from the cloud. Um, and yeah, and that takes away the female character who you've just named that I've completely forgotten Aaliyah. the name of, um, Aaliyah, and that kind of takes away Aaliyah, so she just kind of digitizes her. Um, and then she reappears shortly afterwards as a probe or representative of, of the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you pick up from that point, I think. But. Well, yeah, she, she comes back on board as a robot replica, isn't it? She's actually in, I don't know, it looks like the shower, or she, she's in Alia's room, like there's, a, there's an intruder alert. But before we go there, that, that, that scene is one of my favourite scenes of the whole thing, where that probe comes in, the way they've shot that with that bright light, mm. and the way people move, it's really weird. I think it was shot at a weird frame rate or weird shutter speed, like the way, especially the way that, like the, the terror on um, Persis Kambata's face, mm. as she realises she's going to get zapped by this thing, 
and, and Chekhov no, no, Chekhov doesn't go in. They said people try to go in and save it, don't they? And they get zapped. Yeah. And they're like, no, the, 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 the entity or whatever, the probe, um, uh, as we said before, we find out later, digitizes them and um, sends her back as a, I guess, uh, I don't know, as a robot replica probe, I guess, its yeah. version of a probe. And that's when it announces to the, uh, Kirk that it's. Vija, uh, it wants to know why it's got all this carbon life forms living on this entity that it believes is actually an entity itself. It becomes very apparent that this is a, um, a mechanical or uh, some kind of um, digital entity of, of, of some description um, and doesn't really understand which I've always felt a little bit weird that it's traveled the universe and collected so much information that it doesn't understand carbon life forms and their purpose in the universe <laughs> yeah. and like it's never never encountered a spaceship before with carbon life forms on there you know like if you think sometimes it's not perfect is it like when you when you delve into no things. when you, no when you delve into it as much as it's as much as it's a it's a cool premise and when it ultimately yeah, we'll get to how cool a premise it, it is later on um and it, yeah the, the premise is great but yeah it doesn't really make much sense that this thing couldn't comprehend what carbon life forms are when as you say when it's explored the amount of the universe it's explored yeah um i would, I would agree with that it's a slightly odd odd narrative choice um to go with to be honest but i mean it it helps it helps the film it helps the film's narrative for sure it makes this makes it easier to write the rest of it i guess um as, as to why it wouldn't as to why it would yeah why it wouldn't well not want them dead i guess because it's basically it's essentially trying to communicate with them isn't it and doesn't get anything back and when it doesn't get anything back it decides to kill them i'm never quite sure why it decides to wipe things out when it doesn't get a response from people that's the only thing that i think is is possibly a little bit vague i don't know where you stand on that but yeah it, sometimes the motivation doesn't really make sense for a completely logical being because um, that's what you know that that's what this this creature turns out to be so, or spock says at the time he he senses something just as something of pure logic no emotion um and it seems that Vij has been calling to him, or he's picked up on, on its vibes, as you say, back on, on Vulcan. He seems to sense it, and that's what causes him to go along and uh, join the Enterprise. And it's really weird to start with, because you don't know where Spock's loyalties lie. And Bones and... Um, well, Bones in particular brings up and chats to uh, Kirk about it and saying, you know, can we trust him? He's basically just admitted that he's along for the ride just so he can find out what Vijay is about. It's almost like he's using Starfleet to, for his own means. He's like such a mm. changed person. Um, but I like the fact that it's through understanding, through um, using your brain that they find a solution. It's not, you know, they, they discover that there is actually a carrier wave, but it's radio signals, and because starfleet doesn't use radio signals they no one picked up on it mm. and they listen to it and it's like well it's binary code what could it be binary code for it's and they realize it's an old nasa code so they send back the response code and this is our first indication that maybe this is this is this has got some kind of link to earth definitely well no the, the nasa code is later the nasa code, code is right at the end yeah it's it's spock who well, it's, realizes it's, it's, it's been communicating it's, with them i think 
and realizes it's an old radio wave that's been sent in, but they couldn't pick it up. But the NASA code is much later on, I think. I like remember a, rightly. It's an old, like a, a, a radio frequency they transmit back on. Yeah, yeah, they trans they transmit back on a different frequency because Spock realizes it has been because they're like, well, okay, why hasn't it been communicating with us then? And then Spock notices he was like, well, actually, it has been. Um, we just haven't heard it. Um, and then they they then uh, resend their message of peace and love or peace and knowledge, I think, or peace and friendliness. Uh, they resend it again, and that's literally within. There's a, it's about a split second before V just fired like an energy beam out of them that's potentially going to destroy the Enterprise. And Spock, there's a quite tense moment where Kirk's like, Spock. Spock, Spock. And Spock doesn't give <laughs> a shit. Just send the message, Spock, Spock. <laughs> yeah, and Spock just literally, almost like he's there looking at it. Like, he's got like a countdown in his head where he's like, three, two, one, and send. Um, so, yeah, and then they send the message, and then it's at that point when they are allowed passage into the cloud. So they, I think they initially get pulled into the cloud into by Vija in a tractor beam. Yeah. Um, he, I can't can't remember actually. The the I think they initially go into the cloud, then they get pulled further into the cloud, and then further into Vija itself. So within the cloud is this fucking huge planet-sized spaceship thing, which I think is a good thing to probably talk about next because yeah. this is some of the moments that of the film that I fucking loved. <laughs> like, oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Like they, they go through the cloud, which was, I believe, a series of matte paintings layered upon each other and moving ever so slightly, uh, and then they go to the model work, and the model work in this is phenomenal, and it is really alien-looking as well. I mean, there mm. are your plasma ball effect there the, the, the no, it was noticeable today because there's plasma balls everywhere but um, I, it, it, it's in, and I think it also justifies um, this scene justifies the long um, enterprise season at the beginning like everything's really knitted together quite well in that we've seen how the size of the enterprise like the first thing we get the shot of the people in the shuttle so we get an idea of how big a shuttle is and we get Kirk and and Scotty at the front of a shuttle right at the beginning so we know how big a shuttle is and then we see the shuttle and compared to the Enterprise and then, then with this we see the Enterprise compared to the cloud once it goes in we see the Enterprise then compared to the spaceship and it's just dwarfed it's like a bird yeah, flying the over of, a landscape. The sense of scale here is is nothing short of superb mm. and I, I, I can't recall like it's the, I can't recall seeing sort of spaceships of this scale on the big screen since to be honest I can't think of anything that jumps out at me I mean you've got it's almost it was almost like yeah, take that Star Wars we've made a bigger we've made a much 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 <laughs> bigger Star Destroyer <laughs> like, yeah. look what we can do but I mean this thing this thing is the size of a, I think yeah, the insinuation is, is certainly the size of a planet um, and you can argue until you're blue in the face that perhaps some of these scenes the effects scenes go on for too long and I think that to some people absolutely fair enough if you think these go on too long I can't really argue with you on that I think in my notes here I've just put fuck me my god this is ponderous <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but that being said like and I think yeah and I think for me like yeah you're probably getting to the point now where I, I like the film I, I do like the film now I'll, I'll, I'll say it at this point I have liked the film certainly up to this point this for me is perhaps as much as the effects work is good and I love how much they've doubled down on this like planet sized spaceship it looks fantastic to this day I think it looks fantastic the sense of scale and yeah you're absolutely right the, the sense of scale and the fact that and I hadn't really thought of that that it 
totally contextualizes that opening Enterprise shot now when you see the size of the Enterprise and then when you see the size of the Enterprise compared to the ship you do get a, a genuine sense of the threat that they're facing here and, and the scale of what's going on and you're like and, I, and this takes me back to the first time I watched it and I was just like what the fuck is Vija <laughs> like yeah. what is this yeah. what is going on here like this is a threat like we are fucked <laughs> it's like and yeah and I really like that sense of scale that being said I still think it's these scenes where the Enterprise just drifts through the effect shots which look great don't get me wrong I'm not knocking the artistry and the effect shots in the slightest this is where I think because the film there's certainly the cut I watched sits around the two hour mark you could probably have an hour 45 minute cut of this and not lose too much narratively um yeah maybe yeah. maybe that's maybe that's too harsh a cut but yeah this this for me is where it got a little bit ponderous i would say and it's just like yeah i get that this looks nice i get that but this is the film has the film at this point really really takes a turn for the slow which isn't always a bad thing and i said that certainly on this rewatch i kind of i don't dislike the slow tone in all the places and i enjoy the effects work but yeah could have been trimmed up a little bit and any thoughts on that do you do you agree disagree or i uh- you know what? I I still like it, and maybe it's because I I, I genuinely I love a slow a slow movie if it's got a sort of point to it, and I just mm. love the sort of like I'm one of those people when I play a video game, I just like go exploring a lot of the time. Like when I've done yeah. it, I, I just like trying to break the game, try and find like a different way. Through. I love exploring games and bits. So this is really up my alley. In fact, I would love to play Star Trek the motion picture of the video game, where all you do <laughs> is explore. That would be fantastic. But you know we've got to have bangy shooty video games now. We can't have we can't have anything cerebral anymore. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I can see. I totally get it. I totally get it. And I think this is one of the areas where things are, are cut together a little bit better. I think, for my money, the big differences between the special edition and the regular edition are coming up next, which is as Aaliyah's walking around the strip, the ship analyzing the carbon-based life forms and there's a lot of people just standing around having conversations about stuff and all of a sudden Kirk sneaks up, sneaks out um, um, in a EVA suit and decides to mind meld with Vija uh, because they've hit a brick wall at this point Spock, after, sorry. Oh, Spock yeah. sorry so after all yeah. of this flying over Vija after being pulled in by a tractor beam for some reason Vija then decides nope you're not going any further because I wanted I want to now uh, speak to the creator and Kirk basically um, um, starts bluffing doing what Kirk does it's oh no bluffing. this bit's great because, because Spock's like Vija's a child at this point I think this is a realisation where they realise that whatever being is he's potentially a child and treat it as such yeah. and then Kirk starts acting like a real like a real dickish <laughs> dad to it like, and I think at this point I was just like oh this is cool this is like um, this is kind of like this is a bit like what they did with Q in Next Generation where it turns out that Q is kind of a child of his of his species yeah. where Vija's the child and he's like learning and you're like no you have to be you have to negotiate with it in the same way you treat a child and then they kind of start to make progress progress with with dealing with Vija and then they because ref- they they then refuse to deal with Vija's representative they refuse to deal with the probe yeah um this is after Spock comes back isn't this it is after, after mind with Vija I think back, yeah. yeah yeah they then refuse to deal with Vija's probe um and and demand to speak to Vija directly mm-hmm. um which kind of which then yeah it kind of opens up the film again I think I mean prior to prior to this um and you'll, you'll correct me because I don't I haven't been that far into the the original edition um, Kirk is really quite cold in how he uses um, William Decker's relationship with Alia. He's like, well, if you had a relationship, maybe buried in 
deep within this this oh yeah uh, he, this without, creature. No, he just goes right keep her company like you're yeah. you're on her yeah. like just Maybe go with her like you're done because she's <laughs> it, if, if she's yeah. been digitized or scanned i can't remember the, the phrase they use but replicated to the to such an uh to such the level i mean they talk about the cells being replicated with micro you know micro hydraulics and all sorts of nonsense mm. you just think well, yeah. why don't you just replicate <laughs> like a like they're just a blade runner but this obviously this is before that before then and it is a product of its time but um and he's really unwilling to he doesn't want to because this is the thing this is the representation of the thing that's killed a layer Mm. Because the probe's quite as well. That unit doesn't exist anymore. I'm I'm here as a replacement. That you know that unit's been absorbed by Vija. We can't we can't bring it back. She's gone. She's dead. Um, and Stephen Collins looks like he just wants to like murder the creature, not get all comfortable and close with her. So it's I think it's a great bit of acting from him in there. Um, and between the both of them as well, especially Alia's the little flickers of emotion, like when Will does actually touch those points and it's like the fact that they've been forced together really starts getting Stephen Collins it's almost like um, the probe is manipulating Stephen Collins uh, Will Decker's character Will Decker mm. like like who's manipulating who in this relationship basically um, so we do we have Spock who sneaks out uh, to do a mind meld he goes and uh, he takes a an EVA suit and he did, and I remember watching it very clearly like what is Spark doing because up to this point watching it as a little kid he wasn't acting like the Spock like we didn't know who Spock was going to be in this movie like especially when my granddad was like what the fuck's going on this isn't Spock this is really Spock <laughs> and when he when he um, um, Falcon pinches the um, the guard on duty down at the the airlock or where they keep the EVA suits you just think what the fuck is going on is he working for Vitra or what like made no sense at all and there's a great sense of unknowing because obviously you don't know what's I, I didn't know there was going to be another Star Trek film this could have could have been it for us mm. uh, and he goes and he has a mind meld with um, Vitra and he comes back well Kirk goes out and grabs him doesn't he in an EVA yeah. suit brings him back and it's in the the med bay that we finally I think we get probably one of the best spot performances from um, Leonard Nimoy in, in the entire gamut of Star Trek. There's a moment where he just, he's so, the logic has fallen away. He's mind melded with, with, with the creature, with Vija. And uh, when he grabs Spot Kirk's hand and says, this, this is something that, yeah. that um, yeah, Vija great. will not cool. understand. Would never doesn't yeah, get I love he that moment. It. and that's that yeah. kind of when like there's I think there's moments as you were saying earlier there's moments in the film where you see all the characters kind of come back to where they were in the series mm -hmm. um, and this is Spock's moment of that for yeah. sure I think yeah like that yeah that was a great moment um, yeah it just like last uh, when I watched it I, I I admit I got a little bit emotional at that point because it, it's just it's such a great moment and it's one of the few times where you he just lets all the emotion go and he's just spot because he's always so uptight isn't he he's always so logical he's always got that facade but at that point he's just totally drained of it um, and then he just as you say he becomes he's spark from that point on and we're like okay now we're the Enterprise again now we're finally there and, I, and it's weird I always feel like that part of the movie it's just everyone just looks a bit more youthful and younger and more energetic like 
everyone's found their groove it's really really interesting bit of filmmaking it's i think it's it's phenomenal and i don't know how much of it is the 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 mess that was around the production of this or or uh, where the actors heads were or all the fact that it's just great directing because you know you can't take away from robert rice he is a great he's a great director and he's really really good at these character studies um so we get to a point where the 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 Alia probe is just pissed at, she just gets pissed at one point she's like okay you you're basically just um showing me around places and i think what it is is that there's a scene between her and Stephen Collins where they kind of push each other's buttons a little bit and they start there's a, a fizzle of, of, of an emotional content and she's like no that, I'm not having that I'm a fucking probe fuck off right mm. I'm done I'm done you show you show me you show me the creator and that's the point where Spock goes treat you as a child and, if, and, yeah. and Kirk turns his back everyone shuts everything off and they walk off the walk off, yeah, the, bridge. Walk off the bridge it's a great yeah, scene yeah. And it's just the mind games of it again. It's like not a shot fired, and it's just the mind games. Right, we can only give it to Vija uh, directly. Are they, uh, I need to remind myself. I only watched this afternoon. They've they've arrived at Earth at this point, haven't they? Or they are very close to Earth at this point. I think in the film, if I remember rightly. Yeah, there's a there's a um, few sort of. Well, when they enter the cloud, the communication stops. So they, they're, they're, I think they're projecting the the rate of movement of Vija. But when Vija gets close to Earth, and I don't know if it was in your version, the cloud dissipates, and it's yeah, just the, the mechanical spaceship then, which is still fucking. And it's just which the is ship, which then launches, which then launches weapons. So then they re it reaches out to Earth via radio signal, which then again, in a similar way to it's done before, then Earth doesn't respond. Then Earth doesn't respond, and it launches what five, I guess, like super weapon things that are going to essentially wipe out wipe out life on earth um and then they've they're kind of working against the clock to try and stop vija doing that at this point i think and this is this is where they go and see vija isn't it at this point directly yeah I yeah think. after a lot of i always felt like flapping around in 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 the motion picture quite frankly but, but you need it like you, they need to try everything before they decide to do the let's confront the alien face-to-face -face sort of thing um this is probably one of the one of the the most noticeable bits of special effects you see the the steps being built to the the enterprise is brought in through the the orifice isn't it like though yeah that's the best way to describe it's it the beach's anus it is it is sucked in um when uh Vija realizes it's not going to get its own way um and um the enterprise needs the carbon based units to to function and to, to go forward so it's a fine okay you can meet Vija. come on through and it's pulled into the inner, inner sanctum, um, where these hexagonal um, blocks are sort of assembled that create a bridge from the Enterprise saucer section to Vija. And they say that it's creating a bubble of atmosphere, so we don't need spacesuits or whatever. And then, mm. uh, who is Kirk, Spock, McCoy, um, Aaliyah? And Decker all go to meet Vija. This and this is the moment where I was just like, I am such a fucking idiot that I did not see this one coming. This is where the moment. I don't know if you. I mean, probably at eight years old, you probably didn't see this coming. But I, I thought I should have known better. The fact that this probe's called Vija for the whole film, and then you sit there and you have the realization. And this for me 
is what I love. What I've always loved about it, even when I, even when I going back to when I didn't like it as much as I did like it when I watched it today, I've always loved the premise of this. Bija is Voyager Six. Yeah. It's an old NASA probe from like three hundred years ago, and at that point, I remember I was just like, "That is so cool! <laughs> that is so cool that they've done that." So, yeah. Voyager Six is basically it's drifted beyond the reaches of the solar system. Essentially, been I think found or drifted to this planet full of mechanical beings that have adopted it as one of their own and kind of sent it back out to learn about where Voy where the Voyager probe has come from and like it's just it's just genius absolutely brilliant premise I love I just yeah. love every everything about that idea is brilliant and then basically what you realize is Voyager is trying to get back to its or Voyager 6 is trying to get back to its creator which is obviously NASA it's sending it's sending radio waves to Earth, which they can't pick up on. It is then expecting a particular code from NASA 300 years ago that will then enable it to down send its data. Um, otherwise, it's going to kill everyone at this point. Mm -hmm. So I just I just the idea was I don't know about you, but I love that idea. Yeah, it's it's just brilliant. Such a good premise. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's a bit washy that they're going to kill all the carbon based life forms. I still yeah, I'm you, still with you on that. It's it's, yeah. it, it's just weird. It doesn't make any sense. Um, other than you know it's a movie shut up sort of thing but at this yeah. point i don't really care and i and i never saw it coming and i was really into um space exploration i mean like a kid of the 70s like uh, the moon landings had just finished hmm. star wars came out the shuttle tests were going up were, had just started around about that time or become pub, uh, public knowledge basically so like and we were studying it at school as well like the school hmm. was taking advantage of it so Oh, I was just I, I love astronomy I love science I mean that's where my love of physics comes from um, and science fiction so the fact it was Vija I like nearly wet myself I know I wish I should I, honestly I yeah. sort of I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like how did you not work that out <laughs> oh, so and I so remember saying to my granddad as well he's like that's it. Voyager <laughs> yeah. it's Voyager and he was like what, yeah. what? I was like yeah it's a, it's a, it's a probe yeah I mean, it's sometimes I kind of think maybe idea. it should have been Voyager 2. It's the only mm. thing, because I'm like, maybe you should have named it after the... Because in the 70s, we thought we'd be on Mars by now. We thought there would be probes being sent out every five minutes. It's 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 a bit melancholic when I watch it. And I'm like, yeah, Voyager 6. Because there was supposed to be a whole bunch of them. Or I remember in my head there was supposed to be a whole bunch of them. And maybe it's Star mm. Trek that's done it. But it's like that. And there were the Pioneer probes as well. I think there were two of those. And the two Viking probes, and then nothing happened. We didn't even go back to the moon. We still haven't gone back to the moon. No, I mean, it's a weird one. I think. Yeah. I think, in fairness, had had it carried on at the rate it was going, we probably we may well have been on Mars by now. Um, it's difficult. I mean, you you never know. I guess at this point. Um, but yeah, I think that yeah, and I know where you're coming from because I found that when I watched Apollo that Apollo 11 documentary about the moon landing. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, on a side note, that's absolutely superb. I found that then. I was a bit sad. I was just like, but we were here then, and now we're not anywhere further on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, the Voyager. Yeah, the Voyager thing. I just thought it was a genius idea. Genius. <laughs> it's just it, then everything makes sense, and the way they've written it, and and it, and what blows my mind is years later, understanding the production troubles and then also putting that in context with something like Alien 3 which had a whole bunch of production problems as well um, and you compare two films that started off basically without a, a, a full working script um, and the difference in quality I've, the main reason is that the studio wanted this film to succeed 
and weren't hindering the filmmakers were trying to make it work even, even though mm. they kept stopping and starting swapping things around and blah 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 they, I don't think there was the level of backstabbing nonsense that was going on with uh, uh, Alien 3 but I think for the for the amount of shenanigans that's going on it's just a remarkable film and then to to have they've got a clock in tick as well it's like they've set they've set off the command ready to um, detonate the Enterprise is the first time we learn that the Enterprise has a self-destruct sequence (laughs) and uh, they're like well if we don't get out of it we have to and everyone on the crew knows it as well they're like well that's how it is that's our duty it's all earth at this point isn't it so yeah yeah and it's just remarkable there's no one really freaking out um, especially after watching, because I'm watching uh, Attack on Titan at the moment, where every, people freak out every five minutes. So <laughs> it's a bit, of a, yeah, it's a bit of a difference. Um, but it's wonderful, and I like that, and I like the fact that um, the re- they transmit the signal, and you think, oh, it's all going to be safe, and the signal doesn't get through because Vija doesn't want it. Vija disconnects. Yeah. Uh, this bit, this wow. bit, I struggle to get my head around a little bit. He kind of, he burned. Well, they do this really like everything else looks incredible, and then they cut to this really weird close-up of two just, just frayed wires. Yeah. That Vija, like, how's that happened? Vija's done it himself. Why yeah. did Vija not want the signal? It's, this is what I don't, I don't grasp. I don't. It's one. Well, Vija wanted to join, and this is where like the, the, the motivation sort of changes. Is like he now has a want. Now he mm. wants to join with the creator um, and Spock says it's because he's reached the limit of of exploring you know there's only so far logic will take you he knows everything yeah Um, and you want to go any further and you have to have imagination or emotion etc etc you have to make that next leap and and logic is just the beginning of knowledge which is a lovely quote from Spock Um, and he wants to go the next step so somehow Vija manages to disconnect himself and at this point you're like that's fine but it, it, it does act like a petulant child and again you just think yeah. yeah I suppose you can't have it just end like oh here's the codes it's done we're, we're I know where you can't yeah, yeah. No, and that, to yeah. be fair that makes more sense to me now um, yeah is that he's still acting like a petulant child and he wants more like he doesn't he doesn't just want to fulfil his doesn't want to fulfil his, his allotted task anymore he wants to mm-hmm. he wants to well essentially become something else so um Stephen Collins, I always thought that Stephen Collins or Decker's the, the character of Decker uh, volunteers really fast, doesn't he, to to merge with? Oh, immediately, like straight away, he's like, "I'll do it." <laughs> <laughs> but it does make a lot of sense, like especially in the rewatching. It's like he signed up to explore and do his five-year mission, explore strange new places and and people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and and Kirk has taken that away from him. He's taken the Enterprise, and he's got a lovely line to Kirk where he says, "As much as you wanted the Enterprise, I want this." And Kirk's like, "Okay," and he's even, you know, doesn't really want to let let him go. And it, it, it's one of those things that I always thought was. It always brings me back to the Borg in in two ways. The first way is, if the Borg looked like Alia, I think a lot of people would just, yeah, I'd be assimilated, no problem. Like if they just went in. <laughs> made themselves look a little bit more sexy or made a bit more of an effort people would just sign up it would be a lot easier well, they, they sent se- they've got seven or nine to be fair but yeah but it's like all the shit in the fact you just think well, yeah. just just go oh here's our here's our pamphlet you can live forever uh, for or for a very long time we're augmenting your body you can see in different frequencies and blah 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 and you'll never be alone and and look at this woman you get to merge with this woman you were like yeah or man or you know whatever 
always find that that kind of kind of kind of weird but the seeds are there um perhaps not as much as, as it should have been i mean for as long as this film is there's not a lot of interaction i still feel on re-watching it between uh Aaliyah and decker like there's not if if this was like a series this would be the the part 10 of the series the end of the series yeah i do i do feel that it could have they they could have benefited from more screen time together with her as the probe so to make his to make his snap decision because it feels like a snap decision here it's obviously yeah. not to his character from when he says i want this as much as you want the enterprise so it's obviously not in the character's mind it's obviously not a snap decision but yeah there isn't a lot of screen time with them talking like him i can like if he's gone from if he's gone from falling in love with the the, the woman the female to then falling in love with vija like that you know that i could buy into that more yeah. if they'd shown that if he'd if he'd been more yeah and i think that's that's probably one of the one of the film's weaknesses to be fair is that it, that isn't expanded upon more because it does feel like i sat there and was like what like you, why would you suddenly just go i want to merge with a machine you have no idea what that entails <laughs> that could be anything like i mean we could yeah. be going like tetsuo route here you never know <laughs> like, like, do you want that oh, <laughs> I, like, now i want to see a tets happen, tetsuo but, body yeah. hammer star trek yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with seven of nine <laughs> just going yeah. mad that's yeah i want to see that yeah. <laughs> but yeah like it, it, yeah, it just seems to me like he's been very keen to jump into it or at least something where the the voyager the voyager or vija probe is explaining to him about what the what they want what vija wants and this is what is potentially this is what life could be ahead of you if someone merged with me there's none of that and i, I, I guess that it's probably in the script i, I guess somewhere um, or certainly, certainly in the in the story concept, that I guess those those conversations probably did take place, but didn't make the film. So, I think that's that's a little bit of an odd decision. But and, and it's not it's not a deal breaker for me. But no. it just seems that yeah, I'm with you. Just slightly odd. I mean, it, it's Spock that does that for us. But Vija is not mm. good. Throughout this whole thing, Vija could have just said, "Oh yeah, this is this is what I want to do." It's not good at communicating. No. For a super sentient logical being, it's not good at talking about shit and it's not good at understanding the stuff and I kind of feel that's when you really but think about it I guess a it child may- is there probably way out of get out of jail free card yeah, but yeah it's a bit hand wavy it is it is but on the whole it's great and quite frankly that scene especially it still holds up I mean for, for some lights and some hand painted particles you know imagine all those little particles are actually mm. hand animated no computer involved in this at all no and the two merge uh, as the cloud disintegrates or, or looks like it's about to blow up um, and they rush back to the Enterprise and there's that beautiful big explosion with the Enterprise just flying out of the mm. quote-unquote uh, explosion uh, and everything's back to normal and V just poof disappeared into a higher dimension as Spock says or ex- exploring other places um, yeah, I think it's a really nice way to end it. I, t- I totally understand. Well, there's the yeah. kind of fetus scene, isn't there, where she's kind of, they birth a new race, don't they? There's, um, I forget the female character's name now, not a fetus scene, that's what we want to describe it, where they kind of, they kind of, they see, you see her sort of floating body and then it, they disintegrate into the higher realm, I think, oh. um, is, is what it's, is what it's alluding to, I mm-hmm. think. Um, yeah, I think it was a good ending, um, but overall. And and nice again. It's very, as I said right at the beginning, this is a real Star Trek thing. This is very much we've solved it by using our brains, by asking questions, by trying to understand an, another being rather than just shoot at it repeatedly. Um, and uh, and that's how we win. 
in the future is 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 by using our brains not by using our brawn and it's just i think that's why i like it even more as i get older now it's just especially because since then there's just so much of this dystopian horrific nightmare futures and it's still i'm still surprised that it's one of the few hopeful bright looks at how we could be as a species if we got our act together yeah just, and I, I'm, I'm totally with you because there isn't again there isn't a shot fired well the enterprise certainly doesn't fire a shot in this film mm. um which is great and i think that uh, when I, I kind of left the last note i've i think the last note i've put down is like this is unapologetically star trek yeah it's just like it's it's come out shortly after star wars i can see why people went for it but if they were expecting another star wars they were like oh star trek's back and star wars just come out so they'll just make it just like star wars that happened a number of years later in 2009, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that yeah. at a much later time. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I like the fact it's, it's unapologetically Star Trek. Here's here's a here's a question for you though: okay. the planet that Vija went to, is that the Borg? Well, that was the when we get come back to the Borg. Is that is that's one of the that's one of the things, isn't it? That's one of mm. the, one of the theories that that's what I like about Star Trek. Is everyone has their, yeah. their, their theories. Is, <laughs> is it? Is it the Borg that sent them back? Um, and have we mi misunderstood the Borg? Because it seems like mm. a very altruistic thing to do. Like it didn't, it didn't try to assimilate, assim assimilate it, or was this before the Borg were assimilating? Or well, it kind of is assimilating, isn't it? Though the the the, the cloud itself is kind of assimilating, digitizing, yeah. and yeah, keeping all that to I suppose itself. If you look so. it that way. Yeah, it could be. It could be. It is. I mean, that's it's fan theory. Don't get me wrong. I've got nothing to back that up. But yeah. Unfortunately, it is the well probe, isn't it? From 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 number four, which we'll we'll get to. It, uh, it is the well probe. And yes. this is the same, it's, it's the same plot <laughs> yeah. recycled for number four. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I don't. I don't even mind that much. I don't like. We were chat chatting about like the 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 uh, digital or, or or AI entity that's out to destroy the universe sort of thing, which seems to be a very common theme in Star Trek, especially the new mm. Star Trek, which it just seems to be yeah. the same thing rehashed over and over again. But there's a precedent for that for Star Trek, and this is a very prime example of that. This and Star mm. Trek Four is basically the same damn plot. Um, and then it's never an episode. Is it called Changeling? Uh, where they find a space probe that's uh, just become an intelligent by its own means and yes. wants to destroy Earth um, or the Enterprise specifically and wipes, I think it wipes Ihura's memory and she's left <laughs> dealing, rebuilding her, her memory from, from that and that's 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 it. She never gets it back. She just has to like become a whole new person by the next episode, which is kind of fucking weird and just <laughs> horrific, really, when you think about it. A poor old Ihura. Yeah. But um, I yeah I love this film I absolutely love this film um, I think it is remarkable what they did with all the shenanigans that went on behind this unfortunately or fortunately the reason this was perceived that at the time by and still to this day by a lot of people it's a flop but it wasn't a flop it made a lot of money and people went back and mm. watched it over and over again and maybe maybe it's time that's that's been kind to it kind of like how the phantom menace and the prequel trilogies are sort of looked back um less harshly than when they were by the older generation watching it back then like like views seem to have softened on the phantom menace especially with the with the latest three films um and and maybe it's that maybe it's it, it's like the proto internet it was just trendy to hate star trek the motion picture 
Yeah, I think that that might, that might be a factor. I mean, as I said, like again, I think because we kind of yeah, I watched it when it was slow, and I've yeah, I've, I've warmed to it this time around. I definitely, I'm a fan now for sure, and I, I would say I wasn't in the past. And I think it's easy, it's easy to poke fun at the slowness of it, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you do that. Um, and I include myself in that. It's very easy to laugh at how slow paced it is, and that, that's fine. Like if that's what you want to take out of it, who am I to say? Who am I to say you shouldn't? But I would say look past, look past its at times glacial pacing, and there's a very clever sci-fi film in here. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful, and the music, which we've not even talked about. I mean, there's lots of good things here that we should definitely get into while we've got a chance. First of all, the music. Jerry Goldsmith like knocks it out of the park, and. I'm always either a James Horner, Jerry Goldsmith kind of guy, like with the Star Trek. I, I like I like them both, and I'm some days I prefer Jerry Goldsmith, so some day I prefer James Horner. So right now I'm in Jerry Goldsmith mood. mood. Mm. I think his Klingon theme is just fantastic. Possibly without that, you wouldn't get the Klingon theme from James Horner, which as much as I like James Horner's music he does sort of recycle his own stuff I've just watched uh, Battle Beyond the Stars which is basically Star Trek 2 soundtrack mm. <laughs> uh, which is is, is, is is a bit of a shame but Jerry Goldsmith he has such a range and does such different music he's the guy that yeah. did Alien um, just before the, around the time of this actually um, so different in score it's so good that they used it for the next generation theme tune I mean that's how good mm. this theme is it's become the Star Trek theme yeah, it's great. Yeah, the music, the music really. Yeah, it definitely, definitely hooks you into it for sure. It's a really, really, really nice theme to this. Really, really nice theme. It, it, yeah, it feels completely inseparable from the film, which is what good film music should do. So, I would, I would have been. I would love to have heard it on your sound system. Well, you've got like an atmospheric sound system now, have you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it did sound. Yeah, this film, the, the Blu-ray sounded very nice. I'll be honest. I cranked it. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to ask you a question. On the normal edition, is there like two minutes of Star Trek music playing before the film starts? Uh, yes. And then the mo- and if it was like a blank sc- no Starfield. Yeah, there is. There's there's blank screens. Blank screens start with in a similar way to Lawrence of Arabia and those kind of the age of films that did it because Lawrence of Arabia does that and a few films um, of that time no. do it. So it was I didn't expect to see it on Star Trek to be honest, but yeah, there was. It's very weird. I thought there was something wrong with my TV at first. Like, I saw the special edition. <laughs> so, uh, have I got the right one? Because on the Amazon, the start, the regular high definition version, which is not the director's cut, which is only on SD. I've watched mm. both of them now, and the SD, the the regular version, theatrical, um, doesn't have the Starfield, the one on Amazon, but the special edition has the Starfield, and that is like two and a half minutes of them just playing Star Trek music, but not quite. It's, I think it's if I like remember a, like from a, this morning, I think it was a black screen on the original version. I don't think it's a. St- I don't record oh, it wow, in a Starfield. Okay. Although I might have nipped out to make a coffee while the music was playing. To be honest, but <laughs> it's, it's lovely. It's like the music that plays in 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 the lobby or in the theatre before the the film actually starts. It's. Uh, I don't remember that at all. I don't remember waiting two minutes before the film actually starts. And it and it cuts off. It doesn't even seeg into the film, doesn't it? It just cuts off and then the film starts. Hmm. Um, very weird story by Alan Dean Foster, ghostwriter of Star Wars uh, and Splinter of the Mind's Eye, Mind's Eye, which may have been the second Star Wars film if Lucas uh, didn't make any money out of Star Wars. Uh, obviously, that never happened. And other, other numerous, numerous books. He's a really good mm. writer of um, converting screenplays into books. I mean, his Alien book is just fantastic. Um, weirdly enough, never read his novels either 
I don't know why. I feel really rude to say. I've, no, I can't yeah. say I have. I've read some of his adaptations, but yeah, I've not read it. Yeah, <laughs> never read his original work. <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, maybe I need to do that because I just feel disrespectful because he is so good. Um, this was um, produced by Gene Roddenberry, obviously directed by Robert Wise. Um, as I said before, it's very interesting that this is uh, this is the uh, Katzenberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg's first like big film that he worked on. Um, I believe there's ties to Ray Bradbury. He's uh, one of the writers on the original um, S- Star Trek series, and he offered. Uh, he's basically, he came up with the premise of the whole probe coming to um, Earth. Um, we talked before that what the amazing thing with Star Trek is it attracted a lot of really amazing writers. You've got Ray Bradbury, Theodore Sturgeon, uh, who else? Harlan Ellison are all people who have contributed to Star Trek. These are people who are um, fantastic writers in their own right who have, I don't know, um, deemed to come and work on TV. And we don't see so much of that anymore. Maybe that's what the new Star Trek needs to, needs to have and needs to have a bit more sort of highbrow sci-fi writers to come in and, and knock some story ideas around and have the script writers then turn those stories into... into um, into actually scripts I don't know how do you feel about that yeah I think you're right to be honest as I said like if you if you look at something like this which is you know pure as I said unapologetically Star Trek it make it just makes me want want Star Trek to go back to that um and yeah and you're right I think rather than rather than just TV writers having a pop at it bring in some bring in some contemporary sci-fi writers and let them have a go at it um and just and just see if they can see if they can drag it back because you've got stuff like I mean, things like The Expanse, which I've now seen the end of, feels more like Star Trek in places than Star Trek does now, um, in terms of how seriously it takes its subject matter and how, and sort of the attention to detail there that's undoubtedly been Star Trek inspired other other TV shows to do that, and now it feels like their Star Trek is now playing catch up, um, as much as some of the shows look nice, and it's, it's not to say that they're unwatchably poor because I don't think they are. They're certainly not unwatchably bad, um, but I think they've got a lot of catching up to do, which is a shame, really. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm totally with you. I think maybe yeah, get on some maybe some younger up and coming sci-fi writers and bring those guys on board um, to work on Star Trek. And I think they'd, they'd be, I'm sure they'd love to do it. Like, you, you just go, do you want to work on Star Trek? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, like, um, just even like I I like the Simon Pegg Star Trek film as well. But obviously, we're going to get to that. Um, you know, yeah, it's great. The one thing I like about Star Trek, there's a room for the slow and meandering like this film, and it is. Room for the swashbuckling, uh, hornblower in space type of episode, yeah. which is going to be the next episode. So, uh, would I be right in saying this is probably your favourite Star Trek film? Uh, yes, number two. Yeah, Wrath of Khan is definitely my favourite, my favourite Star Trek film. I actually, when I watched it with my wife after we got back from watching Into Darkness, I was like, no, we'll watch Wrath of Khan now. Uh, and then I managed. Even my wife was just like, and I was just, we'll watch, we'll watch the original series episode that introduces Khan. And I even got my wife to watch that, which oh, was wow. an impressive feat. So yeah, we watched that straight afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, Wrath of Khan is, I would say, is my is my favourite Star Trek film. After that, it's either Undiscovered Country or First Contact. I think um, in terms of my favourites, but yeah, certainly Wrath of Khan is by, I'd say, by probably some margin, my favourite Star Trek film. Well, I have to say, when I was younger definitely Wrath of Khan is right there I mean we've got motion picture Wrath of Khan for me are very very close there's almost nothing mm. in it um, older I get motion picture is the one I go back to more regularly than mm. the rest of them um, 
I don't think that's because I watched the hell out of Wrath of Khan on VHS to the point where I could virtually not watch it anymore on, on tape but um, yes I'm really looking forward to it and as I said before most people consider like the trilogy from Wrath of Khan to uh, Voyage Home but I like to include the motion picture because the motion picture is setting up the characters at the end yeah. of the film they've got that youthful appearance spring in their step they're happy to be back on the Enterprise you've got Kirk going just out there somewhere doing his usual sort of Star Trek thing and everyone's happy to be back on an Enterprise that works and they've completed their mission without having to kill anyone and now we get into the fun and games of Star Trek which and, and it's great that there is which it wasn't intentional it wasn't a plan right from the beginning but the way that they've made this they've made an unintended quadrilogy of films that tie in with each other really well I think is really interesting I'm really looking forward to the next well I'm looking forward to all of that but yeah I'm looking forward this to is where the fun this is where the fun kicks yeah. in I mean we got two three I love like I, I, I love them all but, but but this is like this is a golden era of Star Trek coming in um, so I'm going to wrap it up is there anything else you want to talk about do you think I've missed anything I mean I haven't I haven't touched on Sid Mead that created apparently had a hand in creating the uh, Vija ship after the first uh, designers just made a total balls up of it there's so much we can go into but I think um, yeah I, we can we can we can talk more later about it I think from my point no, of view I've, I've no I think that's, that's a good place good place to wrap things up I think I think yeah it's won me over this time around I think I, I watched it I took it seriously this time around and maybe it, perhaps I was guilty of that certainly guilty of that last time I took it seriously this time around and yeah it's um yeah I like it a lot I think it's a, it's a decent decent sci-fi film um as much as much as it is a good Star Trek film so yeah no I, I enjoyed it and uh yeah it will be it will go on to probably a more regular rotation of my Star Trek watch this now so yes. that's good it's a good yes. it's a good first episode uh, so awesome. uh, yeah thank you well thank, thanks Paul for doing this um okay so uh, by the time you listen to this the first episode's up where we were chatting about um, Star Trek Picard so you can check that out on the Babylon Undead YouTube um, channel or on babylonundead.video.blog um, where we've got a whole bunch of other stuff as well uh, we're going to try and get these out in, nestled in between the regular podcast so stay tuned uh, hopefully uh, this will be the start of many runs we're going to concentrate on Star Trek going all the way through to the JJ verse so uh, tune in next time in a couple of weeks while Paul and myself discuss Star Trek 2 with the Wrath of Khan <laughs>
and we're done. Cool, that was good. I enjoyed that, that a lot. That was good fun.